Oh, hey, I'm glad you're here. As a child raised in a video store, movies were always on, sometimes with the sound down, like when my dad and his coworker would use random tapes to test the heads of VCRs they were cleaning, and I would often put a movie on with the sound down, play music, draw, collage, make mixtapes, or mess with my sampler. But you never hear it the other way. Nobody's like, hey, let's watch Eraserhead, but at the same time, I want to also listen to Neubot and Strategies Against Collapse. Okay, maybe that's a bad example. That, that probably would work. But after time, music became a passion of mine, and this guest has been one of my favorites since I was 14 or so. Some people say don't meet your heroes, and those people really hate that I not only met them, but asked them to watch a random movie and then join me to talk about it. I'm extremely grateful to have had this opportunity and very excited to share it with you. But first, two things. I didn't want to interrupt the flow of our chat, so in a moment, I will tell you about our sponsor. And in that, there are several songs of which our guest is responsible for. So if you can count the song titles and correctly submit your total to me, I will randomly choose a winner by the next episode. And then I'll send you a prize from the sponsor. So head on over to Instagram or Twitter, follow VHS underscore podcast, and DM me your totals. Without further ado, a word from our sponsor. Do your taste buds desire something wonderful that leaves you burning inside? Do your boring meals feel like a stowaway in a quiet life? Would your open mouth rather feel like Mr. Lucky in the night of your life? Hmm. Well, this will kill that. I'm about to tell you point blank so that you have a primal understanding of the mania that our sponsors sauces induce. It is truly one of my favorite things. Now you may be thinking, Dirk, you have mentioned no name, no slogan, and you're right. Marshall's Haute Sauce hand makes a delicious line of spicy sauces using only the freshest and highest quality ingredients, free of any artificial madness. Smoked habanero barbecue, serrano ginger lemongrass, red chili lime, and habanero carrot curry are the annual line, but there are several limited edition sauces. Whiskey smoked ghost, bird's eye basil, ghost of a saint, wait, I read that wrong, ghost chili apple. Head on over to marshallshotesauce.com, that's marshalls, H-A-U-T-E, sauce.com, and enter VHS Podcast for 20% off. That's V-H-U-S Podcast at checkout for 20% off. Hello, and welcome to VHS, the podcast where each episode is about a film, and the guest has the profession or experience portrayed in the film. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at VHS underscore podcast, and on our website, vh-us.com. I'm your host, Dirk Marshall. I'm joined today by singer, songwriter, recording artist, teacher, and author, Chris Connolly. Thank you for being here. Hi. People can find more about you on your website, chrisconnolly.com. That's C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y.com. But the reason you're here today is that as a representative of a musician or a person in a, in a band, but I first wanted to address the last credit because there's an interesting byproduct of your profession, uh, a celebrity aspect, of like a fandom response, people approaching you and saying things like, you inspired me, and you perhaps thinking, that wasn't my intention. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I can probably guarantee that in 93, you weren't on LSD and cocaine in a destroyed hotel room and turned to Ogre from Skinny Puppy and said, I think this will inspire a boy in Oregon to read. <laughs> well, you know, I do it to people myself, right? Right. You know, I understand that because, you know, I've met people who have really informed my life. Like, you know, I met Nico. Yeah. He didn't give a shit. 
but she certainly has informed my entire life in a yeah. very very positive way you get something and you go with it and it grows and you know no matter who the person is and you might meet someone who's a complete disappointment but there's something in there from their creative output that yeah. really inspires you and you can't help that it's That's what you make of it it's your shape i suppose right very well said um but you did you uh i would pour over your lyrics and i, I grew up in a video store so first for me it was box art and i'm um, reading all the things and looking at all the pictures and then later with music i would open up all the booklets and all everything pull everything out of the record and i would read the lyrics and um and thank you and the things that you wrote uh were closer to poems than uh, song lyrics and it might sound silly but for comparison the word corpuscle doesn't show up on pretty hate machine if you know what i'm saying <laughs> um and don't get me wrong i buy all the albums i have it all but uh but but there was something about your lyrics that steered me towards there was an underground bookstore in our small town called hungry head books and um that's what led me to finding authors like marvin bell or stanley green which we talked mm -hmm. about briefly you were working on a book that's somewhat related to stanley green is that true yeah i mean i it's it's a long story but there's an album i did called newtown nocturne yeah now the book that you own um which is uh, a suburb of belson yes now i got that book a long time ago um and there's a there's a poem in it one i like the whole book but there's one poem in it that um especially inspired me called babe law in winter oh, i have it written down here all right so that has been a wellspring since yeah. i got the book which must have been about 1980 and it keeps giving and yeah. then in 2016 i wrote an album called newtown, newtown nocturnes and there's a long piece uh, about Stan Green on that um, and as you know I was very close with his children I'm still really close with his son uh, but I've fallen out of contact with his daughter and I wanted to I was reading his books maybe about a year and a half ago I was reading a couple of books I hadn't read and some light bulb went off and you know the the poetry scene in Edinburgh in the 50s and 60s kind of mirrored the creative music scene that I grew up in in the 80s. Yeah. We all shared rehearsal spaces. We all played music together. And I played music with Stan's son. Like we would get wow. together and smoke pot and, you know, invent music together. Yeah. So it was this lineage of creativity. And I decided to write a book, but I couldn't do it. For various reasons, um, and many people involved with that scene are dead, so sure. research is hard, and a lot of avenues are closed off. But also, just getting in touch with the the vernacular of sort of Edinburgh in the fifties and sixties was tough for me. And then I I saw an interview with Paul Auster talking about how Lou Reed wanted to write a book, and Paul Auster said, "Well, you should maybe just write some songs." <laughs> Because Lou Reed couldn't write the book he wanted to yeah. write. And Paul Oster said, you're a brilliant songwriter. And I thought, well, I'm going to write songs about it. And so I've written a, an, an album, which is almost done, that is about Stan Green, George Mackay Brown, and George's muse, Stella Cartwright. That's so great. And Well, uh, it was 
it was a joy to write. It really was. And it was lovely to write something that was about someone else, mm -hmm. not me. It opened up a whole avenue of language yeah, uh, and freedom as well, because I wasn't writing and sort of like second guessing myself. I was writing about someone else. I felt like I was off the hook in a certain way. Yeah. Oh, so it opened up my uh, my language. Is that uh, aiming for some release this year, possibly? I want it to come out next year because next year is uh, George Mackay Brown's 100th oh, birthday. Great. Um, so yeah, it'll, it'll come out next year. Oh, great. Uh, also, your recent book, A Heart Has to Ache Before It Learns to Beat, is available now. Uh, yeah. I, I enjoyed your virtual book tour. I'm sorry you didn't get to do it. Oh, yeah, yeah, got it. Here's mine here. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I also have the Confessions of the Highest Bidder. And Ooh. I got this when it when it first came out. I was over the moon with this. And in early 2000, my friend Brianna and I went to see your solo show uh, somewhere in the early 2000s. And she brought her copy, but I didn't bring mine because I was like, oh. I'm not going to bother him to sign it. And you were absolutely lovely and happy to sign her book. And then I was so okay. mad at her. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it goes i guess yeah uh, well also, i'll maybe we'll cross paths and uh i can sign your book for yeah you. i hope someday <laughs> um because you're you know an author the the signature makes sense otherwise i don't really understand autographs you know it's like asking a sports person to sign something it's like that's not what they do for a living like you know why would you want them to sign something right <laughs> you know maybe catch a ball i don't know but <laughs> Anyone interested in your time in the uh, Revolting Cox Ministry Final Cut or Wax Tracks projects can buy the book Concrete, Bulletproof, Invisible, and Fried, My Life as a Revolting Cock. I, this book is easily the best for me, um, like, like story about this time and these bands. Uh, it's what I would want to know when I was like 15 or 16 and listening to Whiplash Boy Child and like, I wanted these stories and the way that you tell this so um, truthfully, it, nothing's cherished in a way. Like, it's right? A, yeah, it's yeah. just it's a breath of fresh air. And then I didn't know until maybe a year ago that you did the audio book, and I had such joy listening to that, just hearing you laugh and you're It's so hard to do. Oh my gosh, your Dave's outstanding on there <laughs> is the funniest thing. <laughs> but you also wrote a book called ed royal um, yeah where did this come from um so right after it, it sort of came when my son was really young and i had not because i had a child but i'd i'd wound down playing gigs mostly because no one was really coming to them and Touring was really hard. Mm. I was doing my thing and opening for bands and people weren't interested. So I stopped, I wound down playing live and I also was taking a break between records, I suppose. Um, I wanted to, well, it sounds kind of pompous in a way, but I wanted to sort of try a different way of writing. Mm. And Concrete Bulletproof was a good, exercise because I already knew the story I knew how it ended <laughs> yes and so basically I put up a big sheet of paper uh on on a room wall and sort of wrote a chronology of when things happened um so that I just filled in the blanks and like try and make it funny 
leave out the boring stuff because yeah. there's tons of that and <laughs> try and write a fun book. Ed Royal was, I wanted to write a sort of noir uh, mystery yeah. novel. And uh, I really uh, had been on a binge for years of uh, noir crime fiction. Uh, me and my wife both just devoured it. And I yeah. still do, but that, there was a phase where it was just obsessive. Mm -hmm. And I realized that by reading lots and lots of crime fiction, because they're really easy and quick to read, you soon get into the idea of how to get the twist in the tail. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, well, this would be a good exercise. And it was, because it was like an exercise in things like continuation. Like, how could this character possibly have done that without doing that? Mm. How would you do that? And I actually had to physically try out things. And um, I was also really homesick at the time. So it was based in Edinburgh. Yeah. And uh, a certain time in Edinburgh, like the early 80s, uh, which was a certain time, unemployment. And, you know, it, it was a certain time. Uh, it was an era. Um, and so that's... That's how it happened. And I, I haven't been able to repeat that process. I've sort of tried to write other books, but it's not, it has not happened. And it might, it might not. I don't know. I'm not going to yeah. stress about it. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, the reason I'm joined by Chris Connolly is because we're brought together by the film Suck. Was this a first time watch for you? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, the synopsis is a comedy centered around a rock band that'll do anything to become famous. Uh, currently, you can stream it on YouTube, Amazon, there's a DVD, and a Blu-ray. Um, first, we'll just put a couple people in context here. The director's Rob Steffenwick. He's, uh, he's the type of filmmaker I like to celebrate because there's, there's something to be said for a quaint indie film shot in one location, and they know how much it's going to cost. And there's another thing to be said for someone who's taking big swings, making bold choices, and just going to do their own thing. One example would be the music in this. It's a rock yeah. band. It could have easily been a metal band is what would have been the obvious choice to apply yeah. the darkness and the vampires and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but it's not. And he makes a lot of very creative choices. Uh, he also directed a movie called Phil the Alien, which was pretty awesome independent comedy. Um, cinematographers, Gregor Hagee, uh, did Phil the Alien, a ton of shorts, and now is working on the Cobra Kai show that I believe is on YouTube. Um, our editor is Michelle Conroy. She's got 40 credits. Ginger Snaps 2, Suck and Splice in 2009, which sounds like a KMFDM album. <laughs> Silent Hills Revelations and In the Tall Grass, a Stephen King show that's on Netflix right now. Uh, normally we break down the actors, but for the sense of time, we'll just press play on Suck. We start from within the confines of a room and it's raining, the walls warping, the electric shorting. Is it raining in compassion or despair? Where do we go to for shelter? And should we use each other? The people are coming down fast in extremes. They're cursing out loud in the streets. Men, women, children, and shattered-faced creeps. First, before we start, I have to ask you, why isn't trash on in either of the books that you've written? The, well, not either, but the highest confessions of the highest bitter or heart has to ache before it learns to beat? I forgot. It's not in either one. I don't think I have that CD single, so I just forgot about it. Oh, that's crazy. You can you can even look up the lyrics online. Really? Yeah, I just typed in you July know, lyrics and it popped up. I, 
I, uh, yeah, you know, that's funny. That That's an, om an omission. Uh, I'll put it in the next one. Okay, great. <laughs> in 40 years or something. Yeah, I love it. And when I looked up lyrics, there was things where people were just saying, like, how much they love that piece. So oh. there, are, there are people out there that, that want it. They want it back. Uh, good to know. Good yeah. To know. This is the Rock and Roger Morning Show Late Night Edition. CMJ is almost upon us. So if you like your live music, and I know that you do, you'll want to get your wristbands before it's too late. And speaking of too late, it's never too late to say you're sorry. So we start with the shock rock played by Henry Rollins. This was all shot in one scene, and then they cut it up to sprinkle it throughout the film. Uh, yes. And then we get some Neil Byrne stop motion animation. And then we see Dimitri Coates from Burning Brides as the vampire queen in the bar. Um, there's kind of interesting thing in here because as a stage performer, you can feed off the energy of the crowd. But then once yeah. you step off the stage, we all want to feed off of you. So how annoying is like the meet and greet when you've just put everything out on stage? Well, you know, I'll, it depends. Yeah. It depends if I've been drinking or not. <laughs> <laughs> if I've had a couple of drinks, you know, it's to, to be honest with you, um, I enjoy it because I don't get to be social very much in my day-to-day -day life. And you do meet people like yourself who are actually really fun to talk to. There are some people who monopolize your time and are kind of rude, yeah. and that's a problem. Um, so I like the meet and greets. It's fun, and I've met some. I've met people who I've, you know, stayed in touch with, and I've made some really good friends. Um, one of the things that kind of has bothered me over the past decade or so is the selfie mm -hmm. um, photos. It's crazy because you know if you're playing a live gig things happen and I remember less than maybe like a year or so ago I had an emergency to take care of like I had to get from the dressing room to somewhere right really quickly and I can't remember what it was it mm. was time sensitive so I had to blow through all these people in the crowd who wanted a selfie and thought I was just a dick because I was like sorry 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 and you know you're still a person and there's still like you're still it's your job and yeah. um you know selfies are a pain in the ass yeah um, you know i don't ask for them <laughs> from people <laughs> yeah um and you know for the most part it's fine but you know i'm friends with um one of my closest friends is shirley manson yeah and i'm always embarrassed because she is so good she never, <laughs> ever reaches for patience. She has time for everyone. Yeah. And that's a lot of people. Yeah. And I've yeah. done meet and greets with her where I'm just like, fuck. <laughs> and she's like, hey. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's a whole other skill. <laughs> so I don't have that. I have patience, but not that kind of patience. Yes. Understandable. I know you. How'd you know my name? Oh, I can read your mind. Wow. What am I thinking right now? Well, you're thinking this bartender is crazy. Alice Cooper is the bartender in this scene, and uh, we see the queen vampire hypnotize the bass player, who's Jessica Parr from, from Mad Men. Uh, Hugo's introduced. He's the stagehand, played by Chris Ratz. One of my favorite parts, I think, of the film. I am saying that you should be firing me. So you're quitting. I'm not quitting. Why do you keep saying that? 
I'm not. No, what I'm saying is as your manager, I'm advising you to fire your manager. Uh, we next see Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall as the sleazy manager. Have you had a, your share of questionable managers in the past? Uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've had to, um, I've, I've had managers who are in, I've never had a manager who really did anything that I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I have a partner, uh, a business partner who has been with me since 1995. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, um, she is the person who told me about the internet and wanted to start chrisconnolly.com yeah. in 95. And um, she has been there for me since then. And for all intents and purposes, she doesn't manage me because I always will do what I want. Yeah. But she supports me and helps me out with things. And that's what I need. I've tried managers before, but the only reason to do that was to sort of like well, let's take this to the next level. Can you get me some gigs? Can you get me this? And it's never worked out. Yeah. And then the sort of big time managers that I've been in touch with, I'm just like, you know, stay, it's just sleazy. I don't like it. And it's, it's creepy. And they never, they never get what they want out of me. I always disappoint them. So, you know, the manager in the film was really great because he's kind of so small time. And I've met my fair share of them before. Like, they're modern, but they still like this is show business, kid. You yeah. know, I gotta show you the big that, that never goes away. That's so which funny. I really liked in the film because it's true. <laughs> yeah. He uh he tells Rob's character that he should just fire him because he's just not doing anything good. Uh, right. Calico Cooper, Alice's daughter, is the server in the scene, and we get right. to hear Oh Sweet Nothing by Velvet Underground, which is lovely. Yeah. The manager says, Rock is getting old. Have you considered Japanese hip-hop? And I wrote, this seems like something Martin Atkins would say. <laughs> <laughs> For uh, listeners who don't know, Martin came from Public Image Limited before starting the supergroup Pig Face. Fuck it up, Pig Face! 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 Fuck it up! Fuck it up, Pig Face! Uh, I used to, I was obsessed with the glitch uh, video. I, yeah, yeah, I had the VHS, but um, yeah. but yeah, there's an interview in there that you give where you look totally out of your mind. And, I am. Yeah, and you're wearing a white shirt that has like a girl on it with pigtails, maybe? Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with this shirt. I thought it was a, pheno, uh, not Phenobar Bambalamp, the uh, Whiplash Boy Child. Boy Child shirt, huh? Was it? No, no, it, it was Just a random I, shirt? It's funny you mentioned that because every time I look at old pictures or videos of myself, yeah. I don't have any of that shit anymore. I'm like, oh, that <laughs> shirt was so nice. What yeah. But I, you know, up until, well, I don't keep things. I just, yeah. I don't have stuff and I regret it in a way. But if I had those t-shirts, I mean, I'd never wear them. Yeah, but if that... What I was really hoping it was a design of yours and that you could add them to the shop because I spent so much time shopping record stores and being like, where's that shirt I saw Chris wearing? Uh, Alice Cooper reads Rob's mind and expresses his fears of failure. And then we get a scene in an alley where the band says they're going to have to sleep in the hearse, which is their touring band. So what hotel are we staying at tonight? Well, it's such a nice night. I thought we'd save some money sleeping in the bus. No. First of all, it's not a bus. It's a hearse. Whoa. And we're sleeping in the hearse tonight, just for tonight, okay? That sucks. Yeah, could you give us a second, please? I've given you 10 years. What, now I gotta sleep with Hugo? 
-hmm. and Jessica refuses to because it smells of drummer. Uh, <laughs> as someone who was in two bands that had double drummers, did this strike a chord with you? Uh, not really. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I, traveling with a rock band has never bothered me. I've always in, in, enjoyed it for the most part. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've had my share of vans, but I've also had my share of buses as well. You know, I've been very lucky in that respect. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that stuff has never bothered me. Oh, okay. Uh, she leaves with the uh, vampire and Joey hands her some flyers before she goes, so she has to flyer the vampire party. The vampire brings her into her lair and we get the Burning Bride's Flesh and Blood song, which is shot at 48, so Dimitri had to perform it twice as fast for the recording so they could get these like long, slow, Oh, right. Yeah, right. and it's on the spinning chair. It's pretty yeah. impressive. It's one of those things where I saw it and I was like, this looks like really high end. Like they, they really did a great job. Well, this sucks. Where is she? She's probably here to with the itchies. She'll be here. I know we, man. We're going to miss Soundcheck. Next day, a bandmate is missing. Did you ever have missing bandmates on your tours? Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, sometimes it was a good thing. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, um, I know he won't mind me saying this, uh, but Ogre used to disappear all the time. Yeah. And there was tours that, uh, I remember one tour where the catchphrase was, where's Ogre? <laughs> and, you know, there was some times where we just couldn't find him and it was like five minutes to stage and, you know, he'd just disappear. I wish we could get um, shirts that say, where's Ogre then? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I remember Al disappearing before uh, uh, ministry shows and not showing up. And, uh, yeah, it's happened. Is that but, where um, the title, In Case You Didn't Feel Like Showing Up, came from? Was it about <laughs> Al? <laughs> no, that's in the game. He always showed up. Grumpy oh, yeah. made but he always showed up. Yeah. Um, but it's never happened. I've never been the one who's disappeared. Though I remember having tour manage, managers who I'd torture and threaten to disappear <laughs> um, to mess with them. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, next, we get the Abbey Road homage as the band's crossing the street and entering right. the hearse. Uh, we get a weird 60s sci-fi image, and we learn that we're on a TV set. And this is classic Rob, where he could have had just a boring scene to show that the girlfriend is an actress, but instead he creates this, like, 60s sci-fi scene. Right, it was like, what's that one film? Um, it's a very famous 60s film. I can't even remember. Danger Diabolic? No, it's even more famous than yeah. that. It's, it's, and it's some blonde actress. Oh, Bar Barbarella. Barbarella, yeah, it was very Barbarella. Yes, very much so. And of course, the uh, musician's trying to get money from his girlfriend. What are you doing here? I'm working. Yeah, I know. Um, we had a little snack. You want money? Why, why are you being like that? You don't want money? Yeah, I want money, but there's no reason to be cruel and weird about it. I'm not being cruel and weird. And the band is just mobbing craft service in this scene, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, you said in Concrete Bulletproof that you two were just for three meals a day. Was that part of the fun of the tour? Was like you knew where meals were coming from? 
Uh, well, you know, I was being very flippant uh, with that, but yeah. it was, I was talking about pig face. The, the idea was back then, stay on the road for as long as you possibly could, because when you're on the road, and you know, I didn't have a girlfriend, a steady girlfriend, to the best of my knowledge. <laughs> um, if you stayed on the road, you didn't have to worry about anything. Yeah. Except playing your shows and having a good time and for a youngster that's yeah that's what you do I didn't want to have a regular job no. and you know you'd have someone um sitting flat sit for you and uh, get in the bus or get in the van and stay out and I mean I, I didn't do it as much as some people but some people just really went from tour to tour like William Tucker like oh, he yeah. determined to stay on the road he loved it and I did too it was so much fun yeah but yeah I mean and as far as food went I mean Robin Craft services as these people did there was <laughs> photo shoots and radio stations any opportunity there was a fridge somewhere you'd find it yeah you would steal yeah. <laughs> sound check is at the venue and it sounds awful and the sound guy says are we cool and rob says no but thanks anyway uh are you a big fan of sound check that's so funny you said that no <laughs> um you know and so many bands i've been involved with uh have sort of gone out of their way at the beginning of the tour to get stuff down to a fine science so you don't have to sound check mm. um but I have always been really blown away by the amount of apathy presented by house sound people or monitor people. Yeah. Like, I remember playing a gig, it was with, with Shirley Manson, and you know, she doesn't expect anything, but she does everyone, it's like basic human respect. And yeah. the sound guy, just didn't give a shit and was so offhand to her and to me um and i've i've actually had these days you know if you if you have some really bad luck you'll look around during a gig when you really need help and they're looking at their phones oh no and oh my god yeah you know some are great and yeah. some are deplorable right. and sound checks can be excruciating especially uh, if you're working with a drummer yeah <laughs> you know they can make such a big noise and it just goes on and on and on yeah. i tend to just stay away and say you know come and get me when you need me if you need me i really am fine with whatever it's yeah. gonna suck anyway <laughs> <laughs> whoa uh, you look different i'm not different i'm the exact same person no, I, I, I just meant like your, your hair and your... Nope. No, I'm the same old Jennifer. Nothing different here. Okay. Next, uh, Jennifer's back and she looks different, um, which made me think of in your book when Al has clip-on hair. Oh, he got the extensions? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he did. He got two sets of extensions. One was kind of wrong <laughs> and kind of looked like a toy, a sort of cuddly toy or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Changed and uh, into sort of more dreadlocky looking extensions. Uh -huh. uh, 
Uh, yeah, yeah. So there was always um, sort of like if we decided to do something as a band, Al would go out and rent the best costume, you know. Yeah. Which is fine, you know, it's all it's all showbiz, baby. You know? Yeah, right. So, um, oh, that's so funny. Um, it was one of the things where I was reading in the book. It's pretty early on these things. And, uh, and I was like, oh, this is a totally different thing. Because like you see his name on all these records and you just think, oh, this person's like, untouchable and then you just start right away with just like the hair extensions and things and i was like oh that's right we're all just people and we are dressed up for a show yeah 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 uh we're next introduced to malcolm mcdowell as eddie van helsing eddie van helsing where's queenie uh something they had to clear with eddie van halen to be using that name in the movie really that. yeah god it's, yeah it's absurd uh, he kills a vampire uh, that kind of looks like Nick Drake and finds a flyer for the winner's show. And then we get Carol Pope from Rough Trade as the door person. Um, it's pretty fascinating. That's the, right. Band performing Going Nowhere, at which point the director said in commentary, it perfectly sums up his life in the entertainment industry. <laughs> which, <laughs> uh, but nobody can stop looking at Jennifer. Uh, Rob gets hit by a bottle from his ex, and then Jessica is glowing in an homage to the T-Rex album, Electric Warrior. That's right. Yeah. Uh, after he wakes up, he's at the crossroads. So what music's playing? Of course, Robert Johnson playing in the background. Right. Uh, we see Alice Cooper's there and discover he's perhaps something larger than a bartender. How do I get out of here? You have a decision to make, a tough one. But I think if you look all around you, the answer's right in front of you. Who are you, my fairy godmother from hell? Oh, it's not who I am. It's who you are. And then uh, he comes to and Van Helsing shows up and one of the parts that made me laugh the hardest, he says, What are you afraid of the dark? We should all be afraid of darkness. I am afraid of spiders. They are no good. <laughs> uh, Van Helsing puts in an eight track and then we see Lindsay Anderson's Oh Lucky Man starring a young Malcolm McDowell. Right. Which is maybe my favorite film. I was so blown away. When it showed up? Yeah, because I knew exactly the scene oh, and what so was great. going on. And uh, I have Old Lucky Man. Maybe I even have it here. Um, but it's been, yeah, it's, it's, it's maybe my favorite film. I think it's a work of genius. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so I thought that was a really, and I've seen that done before. Uh, and I can't remember what film. Oh, it was, um, don't tell me, it was... Um, that film the with Terrence Stamp in it. Do you remember? Superman 3. No, Terrence Stamp. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, uh, it's not Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. No. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name. He plays uh, a guy who's looking for his missing daughter. Yeah. Uh, he goes from London to America, and they play oh. the speaker by The Who. But anyway, they have flashbacks, and they use the intercut it with the film poor cow i believe which yeah. is a british sort of kitchen sink drama yeah to do flashbacks so and i love that at the time i thought that's a brilliant idea yeah um i love it because it's not computer generated they, they no didn't not at take all a, and they, they didn't do real... the de-aging which is so creepy to me you know yeah yeah um so yeah i was really excited when they used that mcdowell film that's and awesome permission to do it and everything. Yeah, 
Yes. Uh, playing his love interest is Barbara Mamabolo, who's fantastic in the film, and she's now married to the director. So Really? That's kind of interesting. Uh, we learned that Queenie killed her. We get more stop animation and then uh, or stop motion animation. Sorry, and then we see her turning in the car, and uh, Dimitri is singing. If one of us goes further, we ain't never going back. Drugs, vampirism, drinking. Have you seen some people turn on a tour? Turn? Yeah, like go from doing well to perhaps not so well. Yeah, mostly. Uh, yeah, I have a lot. I mean, mostly <laughs> they're their crew. Yeah. <laughs> And you know it's maybe their first time out, and it's it's uh, it's um it's uh, an eye opening. So they'll start, and then you know maybe a couple of weeks in they'll get a nose ring, and, then, <laughs> yeah. and they'll shave their head, and then by week three they're a horrible junkie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, well, they hit the border, and the first guard is Alex Lifeson of the band Rush. Ah, I didn't even realize. Yeah. Uh, they're forced to pull over uh, instantly. Uh, your book has some mentions of crossing the border a few times. And Which, that border crossing really reminded me of pretty much every border crossing I've ever done. <laughs> the first time I ever went into Canada, um, I had to go, I don't know, anyway, they, they pulled me aside. It was with ministry. So yeah. I was just like, I weighed about five pounds and I had dreadlocks and I was hung over. And you're like 26. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was about 26, uh, maybe even younger. But anyway, I uh, remember talking to the guy who was looking at my passport. Yeah. What are you doing here? I said, well, I'm in a band. What's the band called? Ministry. Huh? What kind of music is it? And I was like, oh, and he was like, is it like the Moody Blues? And I was like, yeah. Oh, great. Please have a great time. <laughs> That's amazing. But the last time I went into Canada, the guy, I thought he was kind of trying to get me to admit I smoked pot, which I thought was really weird because it's legal there. Yeah. And he was a really straight guy. And then he told me that he, apropos of nothing, he told me that he saw the station to station tour in toronto in 1976 yeah he described it to me and i was like ah oh, that's interesting <laughs> like how how long did he describe it to you <laughs> like did he go through the whole thing no he didn't go through the whole thing but he 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 talked about he talked you know he's just a dude yeah and for that film the opening act was on shan andalou Bunuel film there was no band opening up and he's like yeah there's this really creepy black and white film before Bowie played I was like yeah on Shan Andalou but he was like oh. <laughs> Bunuel uh, asshole yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh well they have to pull over as well and uh, we get the born in the USA homage in front of a mm -hmm. flag with the blue jeans and the shirt did you catch that one too oh yeah yeah I caught them all Good, good. Uh, Alex is there to give the band a hard time. He sees the lady looking gaunt, much like your story you just said, and uh, he thinks she's got drugs. She takes her glasses off and vomits in her purse, and he says <laughs> that he was in a band, and he goes, takes me back, and says, go on right through. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the band pulls up to a gas station, and she kills her first person to the Stooges' TVI. Maybe I can buy you a drink. I get off at 4 a.m. Thirsty now. Well, I got a drink right here. 
want to suck? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Right. Classic. Which is a great kill, by the way. I loved it. It was it's so funny. So funny. Uh, we see Hugo finish peeing, and we get the Rolling Stones Beggar's Banquet homage, only the wall uh -huh. says winners instead. Uh, Hugo discovers that discovers she killed a man, and he says she says it's not even happening, but you know, she's like an addict caught injecting and says that they aren't. You know, it's just like right there, plain as day, and you're like, okay. Well, she asks for Hugo's help, and he faints. <laughs> but he has to dismember the the clerk anyway and she promises him internal eternal life uh <laughs> she gets in the car and doles out snacks and then hugo returns covered in blood and says everything's fine i know it's so funny <laughs> and then next we see moby as beef bellows and the secretary of steak a band that <laughs> throws around raw meat when they perform which is hilarious because moby's a vegan yes he's such a staunch <laughs> vegan that i love that he you know he did this part because obviously yeah. he was in on the joke but uh yeah we see the band draped in a flag in an homage to the Kids Are All Right rockumentary film about the Who. That one I missed the first couple of viewings because I, I guess I just, I'm not well versed in the Who, but. Um, I got it. Yeah, you got it. Uh, Moby and the band are all getting stoned. They're out of papers and Hugo is about to go next door, but then Moby acts a little anti-French to him. So he lets Moby go next door and well, doesn't go well for Moby. No. Uh, the band says they're stopping by Victor's and that he has a magic studio and Hugo enters satu saturated in blood again. And Joey says, you left clean and you walk back in covered in mystery blood. What's going on? And Hugo says, you're high. And they all just accept it. <laughs> uh, then Hugo eats a fly, which is an homage to Renfeld from the original Dracula. Uh, Jess is drinking from an arm and the band enters and says, you ate beef, which is a great line. <laughs> Everyone be cool. Okay, we definitely smoke PCP. I can explain. You can explain? You can explain why you're chewing on a severed arm? Oh, don't be such a drama queen. Drama queen? You killed someone! Whoa, 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 hey now. Everybody just chill a second. Nobody killed anybody. It's PCP, we're just bad tripping is all, right, Jenny? No, this is real. You had Hugo cover your tracks as usual. And you're an insensitive asshole who only cares about himself, as usual. They threaten to kick her out of the band, and someone says we should call the cops. But then Tyler says, we can't call the cops. We're still in a band. We aren't narcs. <laughs> you know, this band of brothers. And then, of course, they say whatever happens stays on the road. Right. Which, um, which is true, unless you write this memoir, which... <laughs> Exactly. Oh, you don't know what I left out. <laughs> oh, I'm surprised you remembered this much, really. <laughs> okay, so she says she has a problem, but she's still the same person, which is something, you know, if this was a, just a drug allegory we were going off of, these would be very similar things you would hear, I would imagine. Uh, we get a montage song by the winners, more stop motion animation. Jennifer and Joey have a conversation where trust has been broken, broken, but she says they can record her song at Victor's, but he says, I'm still the leader of the band, right? As someone who has led so many bands, uh, with a band like Damage Manual, it's a credible pedigree of players involved. How, how are songs constructed and how do you operate as the lead singer for something like that? Um, well, using Damage Manual as an example, that project had started before I joined. So 
which is to say Jordi and Wobble and Martin got together and started playing music together and then started thinking about singers. And I think they approached, I'm pretty sure they approached John Lydon first and he passed. Uh, and then they asked me, for me, it's sort of, uh, I learned a lot when I worked with ministry in that when you are what you are in the band, if you're working with a producer like Al or Paul in ministry, do your bit and rely on the fact that they will do their bit. Don't try and seize control of anything. When I was in the Finney tribe prior to ministry, it was so democratic to the point where it actually detracted. Um, decisions couldn't be reached easily among six people when you're mixing down a song. I mean, we did it, uh, but I found it a lot easier to say, you're singing, you're writing lyrics, do that. Mm -hmm. Listen to the music, not the people. Mm -hmm. And bring what you have to the table and see if it works. And then I don't have any sort of, I'm not precious about what happens afterwards if it gets chopped up and uh, mm -hmm. messed with. I, I try and see the big picture mm -hmm. and uh, try and you, I don't give input. Like, okay, don't tell me what to write, but I'm also not going to tell you how to mix. Mm -hmm or arrange, unless it's one of my own solo records. But even then, um, I give up control very easily. I was very inspired by, um, like when Miles Davis did Bitches Brew, how much freedom he gave the musicians. Yeah. And for good reason. Um, he had a vision and he chose these people for that vision and he didn't have to tell them. There's three keyboard players. That's crazy, yeah. but it works. Yeah. And he did it for a reason, and he wanted them to play how they played. He didn't want to get Herbie Hancock and say, okay, Herbie, you're going to do this. Right. What would be the point? Um, so I remember describing it to a bandmate of mine. You're in a play. If you're in a play, you have to do what the director's saying. They don't want you to go off and improvise, mm. really. Uh, the director is there because he's the director. It's not because his ego's so huge, it's because the director or the producer is in that position because they're good at that and they can see big picture uh, um, ideas. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, the way I, that's the way I treat things. And it served me well. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that when I was, I think, 22 was when Damage Manual started going, I think. And the lyrics, we have been worthless, we have been safe, with minds belittled by the threat of our own ice age, was, like, mind-blowing to me. <laughs> I, it's some of my favorite. I mean, it's something that I quote to people when we're talking, like, poems and things. I'm just like, yeah, but listen to this. And then they're just Thank like, you. what? Um Something else that blew me away is they pull up to Victor's and it's Iggy Pop. Yeah. Joey Winner. Hi, Victor. Green money? Uh, yeah, um, what's this? 
one song, and uh, I thought we'd split the publishing 50 50. Oh, yeah, 50% of nothing. <laughs> He's fantastic in this movie. He is. Have you met Iggy Pop? I did, man. Many years ago, I met him when I was 15. Uh, and uh, he Holy played. Holy smokes. 1981. What? And he played at the Edinburgh Playhouse, which is like a 3,000-seater theater, and there was maybe 200 people there. Wow. And I really wanted to get him to sign my leather jacket after the show, and he did. And But I waited backstage, I mean, down outside in the alley behind the Playhouse for yeah. ages, and he came out, and he had two ladies with him, <laughs> a bottle of horrible gold. And, uh, you know, he was wasted but he was so charming and he has such a big smile um and i'll never forget you know he signed my jacket and that was fine and then this guy was asked him said oh, i'm a really big fan iggy can i get a ride to the next gig what and iggy's like no man i and then he betrayed this information he's like look i meditate during the day i just need my peace and then he said do you need some money to the guy? And he's like, yeah. And Iggy was like, I'm right out. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I was a fool and I believed there was nothing left for me. So they start recording. Jennifer's recording her song, I Was a Fool. It's written by Ivan Doroshuk from Men Without Hats. And it's sung by Sarah Johnson of the Canadian band Brand Van 3000, which is pretty interesting. Mm. Uh, this is meant to show sort of how a track is built. So you see people recording different instruments. It's not the band performing all at once. Um, how does this kind of work for you? Like if we're comparing these two albums, like 2011's Artificial Madness, mm -hmm. uh, which is abrasive and charged, like uh, Waiting for the Amateur and Goner are like, favorites of mine it's like all hands on deck sonic assault um it's a brilliant listen on uh relapse records at times am i wrong kind of reminiscent of like comet or read and burn off wires send album oh that's so funny you noticed that um send was the inspiration for that album. oh okay yeah it really was um that production um it's and that fabulous sound. Yeah, and actually Graham Lewis is a friend of mine. I remember telling him at the time. Um, but I, it really taught me a sort of like, uh, sort of to be economical with sound mm -hmm. in a sense. And I worked with a producer there, Sanford Par Parker. And again, that was something where I sat down with him and told him what I was going for. And then I said, you know, you make it, make it work. I know you can. I'm yeah. not going I'm not going to argue with any of the decisions you made and um, the way we built that record was I went in with a guitar and played everything to a click track and then everybody in the band came in and played along with that on another day Whoa. the only song on that album that's live with me is compatibility mm. um, because I was sort of, as a cover version, I was sort of teaching the band and it has a very strange um, uh, arrangement. So it made more sense to play it like that. But 
you know, it was kind of the band came in and played and then Sanford sort of put it into like he took the drum sounds and uh, substituted them for harder drum sounds and, mm -hmm. you know, made it into the tight, tightly wound record it is. Yeah. And then comparing that to 2008's Forgiveness in Exile, which is also amazing, with uh, improvised jazz musicians and David yeah. Miller of Feeney Tribe, Shirley Manson, uh, David from Current 93, and Tori Higginson. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how did that album come yeah. to form? So that was, uh, that was I, I was working again with the producers, Tim Kinsella and Ben Vida, who did the episodes prior to that. So mm -hmm. it was kind of an extension of that. Okay. But so much of that I had, a lot of it I worked out before, and then a lot of it, we just went into the studio and winged it. The first song, Forgiveness in Exile, was very much inspired by something like Pharaoh's Dance by Miles Davis, where I just sort of gave them a few chords yeah. and said, let's go. And um, But there was a lot of editing um, and a lot of layering and a lot of spoken word that I went into. I, I had... I had a vision in mind. So the album was constructed with live jams, I guess you could mm. say, uh, and, and built from there. And it turned out really nicely. No, I, yeah, I love that album. Um, and it's, it's, I love the, the way that you kind of go through and do different things. You show different sides. You might do like a, something that has spoken word aspects to it. You might do something that's really melodic, something that's acoustic, something that involves noise, something that's short, something that's long. Um, yeah. Part of the fun is like when you put out a new album, sort of seeing where you take it. And uh, Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that was a very fun record to make because the guys I was working with, are, a lot of them are from the improv scene. Yeah. So they were into it and they were into playing and into trying things. And we were working in a studio that um, had quite a lot of instruments, like weird instruments, like there was a harmonium. Oh yeah. Um, and I used that, but I didn't use the keyboard. I just used the pedal to make a sort of yeah. noise. Uh, it was just wood on wood. Um, and, you know, we didn't have a lot of time to do it. I mean, we just had a couple of days to record it, but um, we sort of went in really focused and got on with it. I think we went down the night before and just ran through a few ideas so we weren't walking in cold. Right. You know? But in, in, in a sense, it was kind of a bold move because it's a leap of faith. Like, I had all these ideas, but were they going to work? Right. You know? I yeah. didn't know. Uh, since we mentioned uh, Shirley a couple times, I know that she's performed with you in Sons of the Silent Age, mm -hmm. um, which is a performance group of musicians that strictly do a, sp a specific period of Bowie. Is that correct? We do all periods of Bowie. Oh, okay. So we choose... Uh, whatever show we're doing we we either come up with a set list or decide on a record we're going to play yeah um, i know it's only live um because as you said previously he already recorded the songs like we already have those but so what yeah. you're doing is, is a live experience and yeah. i think that's awesome 
However, living in Oregon, I don't get to see it. I just get bad YouTube videos. So I hope sometime there's like a live filmed thing that we could see. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, we're, you know, we've missed a couple of shows because of lockdown. Yeah. Um, and I would love to see you do Word on a Wing. So I'm just throwing that out there. One of the hardest, hardest songs to sing. Yeah. If not the hardest song I've ever sung is Word on a Wing. It's just one of these songs that you think you've climbed the mountain and there's a whole <laughs> other yeah. level you've got to get to. And it's also emotionally harrowing at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant, but it's so... Playing Station to Station as a record was a real eye-opener into how brilliant of a singer Bowie is. Yeah. It's not... We all know he's a great singer, but when you try and do that, it's that's acrobatics. It's yeah. crazy. And he's not even showing off, really. It's <laughs> so true. And you've met Bowie two times? Yeah, I did. I can't that even imagine cool. what that would be like. Like, how did you get words out? Did you just say, like, thank you? or? <laughs> well, you know, I mean... We're both musicians, yes. so there's common ground, sort mm. of. And he knew about ministry, and um, you know, so he was happy to meet me. And the first time I met him was through Trent. Right. He was through with Trent, so he knew I wasn't just well. I was a fanboy, but you know, we there was a give and take. Commonality, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. This tour's my last chance. I'm not giving up. You don't have to give up. Just kick the vampire out of the band yeah but she's helping us not hurting us maybe it ain't worth it iggy breaks down the shit of celebrity he says always wear a condom and never trust a goddamn vampire <laughs> <laughs> uh joey says he thinks he's a hack and iggy says you're not a hack you're not a hack thanks you're a poser wanker dick now take your vampire and go I mean, imagine writing the script where you're like, and then Iggy Pop's going to call me a poser wanker dick. I mean, that's <laughs> pretty awesome. Back in the club, we get Bowie's Here Comes the Night. Uh, Jennifer runs into a guy who gives her random pills. This happens in clubs a lot. I don't know if you've had this experience in the past, but where you're performing and someone just hands you pills. Yeah. It's the Not craziest anymore. thing. No, but back in the day, you know. Back I, in the day used to yeah. DJ and stuff and people I, all the I time mean, I remember just... like sitting on the bus with this handful of p random pills like what are they yes you know <laughs> it's so true in the green room he notices uh, another band member now looks like they've been turned Jen Jennifer enters and puts the pills on the table and uh Joey comes in and takes the pills and on stage he is so high yeah we get a chaotic drug-filled uh, performance um some that you've had in the past uh were you ever too high on stage or did you just make it through okay you want to know some stories <laughs> so one of my favorite uh occasions was when the revolting cox played in glasgow in scotland okay uh it was the first time and only time the cox have played in scotland it was 1991 and was this the I, Cows tour Huh? The tour where people thought you were going to have cows? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Like <laughs> I remember, um, you know, first of all, I got there and all my Scottish friends are there at Soundcheck. And, yeah. You know, we blew off Soundcheck and just went to the pub. <laughs> and 
then got back for the gig and there seemed to be this like there was someone there to do an interview and then there seemed to be this line of people outside the dressing room door with different kinds of drugs so i took them and yeah. um, <laughs> my mum was there oh my gosh yeah my mum came and I remember being on stage and I'd taken ecstasy on top of everything else. And this, the, the ceiling was just this purple mass. I Whoa. think I threw up, but you know, on stage, love that show. Yeah. People <laughs> love that show. It was just, it was an absolute revolting cock show. <laughs> now I remember another gig uh, I played uh, with pig face um, at one of my favorite venues, the Toronto opera house. Oh, wow. And I got, I was tripping and I was so high, I got lost in the stage curtain. <laughs> like I had to be on stage and it was just like these red velvet curtains, like, oh my God. <laughs> and I remember as being chased by my lyrics. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I made it though. We did the show, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you treacherous bitch. Whoa, take it down a couple notches. And you, you, you take Sam down with you? Sam's a big boy. Yeah, I don't need people to make my decisions for me. Yeah, you do. You're a drummer. <laughs> it's, good, it's good drum humor in this. Yeah, there uh, is. Next, they're on Rocking Roger. And um, when they asked Henry about to do this role and told him he would get a mullet, he said, yeah, a mullet, a total douchebag. I, I know this guy. I'm ready to go. So uh, how, how was radio for you? Did you, with the Cox and things, have to go and talk to these shock jock people? or? We have done. I mean... Most of what we did was talk to college radio people. Sure. Um, I mean, interviews are varied. I mean, they can be really, you can meet some really great people, but there's been some people who are just idiots. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if I was ever with um, Bill Rieflin or Paul Barker, they do not suffer fools. And yeah. I was like, and I'll try to be, and I was like, you know what? I'm done. Go get them. And they would just be devoured. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. sort of big time shock jokes and stuff like that. I don't remember ever doing anything like that. Oh, good. Good. I mean, I've met my fair share of people like that mm -hmm. in, in the music business. Um, for sure. that are just ridiculous, you know, yeah. uh, for, for sure. I don't know if they exist anymore or not. You all just released a single. What is it? It's called Suck. I've heard it. It does. Oh! Rockin' Roger on the radio coming right to you live. Did you just say our song sucked on the radio? No. I said it on television. We've hidden the cameras. What cameras? Kids, you all have to lay off the drugs, okay? This is not rocket science what we're doing here. They're only questions. And like my mama used to say, it's only rock and roll. But I like it. Say it again. Say what? Hey, be cool. No, no. Do something you're good at, like sucking. Oh, gotcha two times, Rockin' Roger. And what's up with the makeup anyway? We're not wearing makeup, asshole. Vampires. Well, they eat Henry Rollins in this scene, so then that's the end of that. And they do it on the radio, so it's a big, big thing. Gets them a lot of publicity. And then... um. We see Rob back on the crossroads with Alice, and Alice basically says, The band goes on with you or without you, Joey. Vampires are ultimately cool. 
it's my band. It was your band. Now you have to make a decision. You can take that road to obscurity, or you can join us and never be afraid of anything else ever. He chooses to become cool. Uh, in your career, you have performed with numerous bands, but you've also put out 20 solo albums. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an incredible amount of, uh, of work. So it's time to play a game, and this game is called Welcome to Real Thing, written by Chris Connolly, or not. I'm going to give you five <laughs> things, and you tell me if you wrote it or if you didn't. Okay. The first one, a million tiny wings that slander gravity. No. It's from Lead Turns Into Gold with the High Confessions. It is? Yeah. I wrote that? Yeah. <laughs> I have no recollection. Wow. This is the, I thought it would be a fun game because you've done yeah. so much. Um, number two, I love frogs that sit like Buddha. No. Yeah, that's Frogs by Norman McCaig. Ah, ha, ha, ha. It's a great piece. McCaig. <laughs> uh, three, hell is not a place. It's a game you play, a suffer that's every one of mine. Yeah, that's yours. I had to put something from the revolting cocks on the list. Uh, the clouds like ghosts of breasts. That's me. Yes, Causeway Side, Newtown Nocturnes. Yeah. And we mentioned it before, but that album is so fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. I did that live last year, you know. Oh, no way. It wasn't a tour, yeah. was it? No. Okay. I did it one gig only in Edinburgh. Uh, with uh, Michael Begg, we did it uh, at this beautiful venue in Edinburgh, and it's like it was the first time I played in Edinburgh for thirty-seven years or something like that. It was really special. Oh, you know what? I think I saw a clip of that online. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's what that was from. And the last one, I should have picked more because this is fun. Will these dreams still follow me? Oh, uh, that's me. That that's, is you. Uh, burning inside. It's burning inside. Do you know what it came from before it was in Burning Inside? Paper Self by the yeah. Phoenix Tribe. Yes. Oh, Phoenix yeah. Tribe or Gallery Macabre. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah, it was Gallery Macabre. You know more than me. <laughs> I hope the Phoenix see this <laughs> when it comes out. I'll tell them. They'll get a kick out of that. Oh, yeah, please. <sighs> Next, Rob decides to turn vampire. We get the full performance involving levitation. Uh, Joey sees the band eating a groupie, and he freaks out, and he goes outside. <laughs> And he meets Iggy. Iggy's outside. He he gets Iggy gets that he's sold out. He turned to the dark side. Hmm. No one likes a judge. Hey, I didn't say anything. I just wanted to see what all the fuss was about. Yeah, well, good. Now you saw. Are you okay? Don't touch me. Oh, take it easy. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm. Not feeling good, you know? Yeah, you're a big rock star with a big problem now. How cliche. <laughs> he accidentally kills Iggy. And before he, <laughs> before Iggy dies, he calls him a wanker one last time, which is so good. Wanker. <laughs> he tells the band he killed Victor, and they say what happens on the road stays on the road again. <laughs> uh, they're successful. They're in a... Uh, Plane. They're drinking blood in IV bags now. Malcolm <laughs> shows up, and they decide to go kill the Queen. And this part of the movie wraps up pretty quickly. They're um, pretty much right back at the Queen's 
layer. He invites them in and says, you guys want to hear a song? I wrote it 100 years ago, but I just figured out the middle eight. (laughs) (laughs) And then Dimitri improvised this tune. He actually made that part up. (laughs) Final battle, uh, Eddie shows up and and basically just kills the queen. And Danielle's there. She wasn't murdered. She was turned vampire by by Dimitri. And then Dimitri dies by a flying V through the chest. And TVI is back in the soundtrack. Right. It's so well used in this movie. Yeah. And then another great line, he says, they're all returning back to out of work musicians. It's gonna hurt when they're turning yeah. back from vampires too. <laughs> uh, six months later, they're Joey and Jennifer are wearing matching sweatshirts and they're driving a, a minivan. And uh, he says, do you ever miss it? And bam, they're back at the crossroads. Tell me I'm dreaming. Welcome to my nightmare. Charades, matching sweaters, pottery class. No, this is over. We killed the Queen Vampire. No, you killed a 300-year-old vampire named Queenie. I'm from a much older breed, what you kids call old school. Are you gonna kill us? Totally. Just let her go, okay? Relax, Romeo. I'm just here to set you free again. Hey, let's put the old band back together. And they decide, well, maybe they'll get the band back together. Fortunately, we didn't get a sequel to Suck. But uh, but it, it did like this little bit where it's like it shows when he's young and ambitious and he wants his band to succeed. And then it shows like when he's, he's older and he just has different needs, you know? He's like, right. it's like, oh, this will work. Uh, and that brings us to the end of Suck. Uh, do you have any final thoughts before we do the remaining few questions? Um, I thought that... Uh... There's a couple of things I appreciated it. I liked how they used musicians in the film. Yeah. Usually I find, and when I saw what the film was, I was really worried because yeah. usually when they do it, they get the sort of rock part wrong. Like the studio was feasible. Yeah. Uh, the gigs were feasible. Uh, I mean, you've got, of course, it's, it's ridiculous. I yes. mean, it's, it's over the top, but it's supposed to be, and it worked well as a comedy, uh, I thought. I And I think... I really enjoyed uh, Jessica Perry's demeanor mm-hmm. because I don't know what her demeanor is, but it's sort of, it's very unvampire It's very yes. apologetic and shy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as far as comic acting goes, I thought it was right on the money. Um, I thought all the characters were pretty funny though. Yes, <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, are there any common misconceptions about being a musician? Um, I think people forget how boring it can be. Uh, I think people forget that, you know, between gigs is a long time between playing one night and then like playing the next night. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons I stopped touring because it just was of no interest to me. If you're touring on a level that I have been used to touring, which is just not very exciting. You're playing some club in the burbs and the only thing there is, is, you know, a petrol station or something like that. And it's eight hours till sound check. Mm-hmm. You know, being, being in a band is not very exciting. To me, what I've learned as I grew older is that the, um, being on stage can be fantastic. Uh, and writing the music can be fantastic everything else has the potential to suck quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is a good day like for you musically? 
Um, well, I recently I was talking about my the album I'm writing right now, recording right now. A good day for me musically is when I write a good song and I write very, very quickly. I mean, to the point where it's almost frenzied. So if I'm in a writing mood, which is maybe twice a year, I'll get a new crop of songs. Yeah, It is all encompassing and there is nothing like the endorphin high you get from it. Um, that for me is a, a, a an amazing, but it's, it's a very solitary experience too. Being on stage with a band is very different to writing by yourself. It's mm -hmm. a different thing you're using in your brain. Being on stage with a band can be just dynamite. It can be so great. Uh, but for me, writing is is everything. Yeah. What was the um, what was it like with with Chris Connolly and the Bells? The band. Yeah. Um, I, I just never, I, I, that, that album is called Chris Conley and the Bells. The band are actually only on these live tracks at the end. Oh. Most of it was constructed, me and Bill Rieflin, mm -hmm. me and Chris Bruce, and me and Jim O'Rourke. Uh, and then once the album was done, I put the band together, which was not, um, really representative of what's on the record. I was, I was adrift at that point in my life. In mm. the I was very adrift. I didn't know where I wanted to go. It was sort of right after ministry and everything like that. Yeah. And after Shipwreck. And oh, we, that album's amazing too. Yeah. I mean, we put so much energy into Shipwreck and it was such a huge deal for us that afterwards it was kind of like we were shell shocked for years. Yeah. Uh, that's the, that's the album where you said you really started songwriting, right? Yeah, yeah. But I that's love Fita Bar Bambalam. Mm. And I know that you, I read the book. I know how you feel yeah. about it. Uh, yeah. But it's the only album that's not on iTunes or one of the only ones. I know. Why is that? I have no idea. And it's funny because I recently reached out to uh, the company that owns all that stuff now, which is yeah. the Orchard. But it's one of these giant conglomerates that... You know, no one's going to call me back. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. not on Spotify. It's not on iTunes. It's, so it's not. I want to find out if I have the rights to it. Yeah, I hope so. Because this is the disc that won't play anymore. I got this when it first came out. And this is the one I bought this year because I wanted to hear it. <laughs> and it, and this wow. is scratched. It won't play. Yeah. So this came from Australia. No kidding. Uh, yeah. Um, and if you go to, I mean, don't do this because you're the artist, but if, if someone wanted to read, there's so many nice things on Amazon about that album where people talk wow. about what a masterpiece it is. And um, as somebody that, that spent all my time listening to your first two solo albums so much, uh, I, I absolutely love that album. That's so nice. Thank you. I actually have the ma master tapes upstairs. Oh, wow. Like, if I can re reissue it, I can do a really nice job. That would be amazing. I no. would kill to have it on vinyl. Yeah, I, ha I have it on vinyl. Oh, really? It came out on vinyl in the UK, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, what's a bad day like for you musically? Um, I don't really have bad musical days. I feel it's almost, it's weird, but it's, it's almost a physical feeling I have 
maybe in my sleep or something like that, I wake up and my hands feel a certain way. Oh, like wow. they want to go to the guitar and I, it's not like I have a great idea for a song. It's just a sort of intuitive sense that something is brewing. And if I don't have that feeling, then I don't play music. I've not played music for, uh, gee, I mean, I, I finished recording uh, the, the, the birthday poems. That's what this album is called. Oh, great. Um, in June. Uh, writing and recording it um, and you know after that I'm done I just put my instruments down and unless I'm like collaborating with someone or doing a vocal for someone I just I don't even bother because oh, I yeah. know it'll be pointless. I'm glad you mentioned that because something that you are doing these days is um, people are contacting you and you're recording vocals for other projects. So you just did one that starts with an S and it slipped my mind now. Well, there was uh, the Joy Thieves. Yeah, Joy Thieves. There's also the Nukes Collective, right? Yeah. yeah. And then there's something Sewn or something like that. You did a shoot. Doesn't matter, but no, I just I wanted to mention remember. that people can find you guesting on different things. The recent yeah. Frontline Assembly album, even. Yeah, yeah. I, th that all started because I um, I have the capability of doing it at home. About four years ago, I just uh, got a program and bought myself a good microphone. And it's really opened that stuff up a lot. Black Needle Noise is something. Oh, right. There it yeah, is. Yeah, I, I mean, which I, I really enjoyed doing that stuff. But I can do it at my leisure uh, in, in, the, in the rock noir, um, just sort of when I, when I can. And before, when I did collaborations, it was like, well, can you find me a studio yeah. or, you know, and now I can just like send the files to people and it's very liberating uh, yeah. to do stuff by yourself. Is it kind of like they send you the track or the skeleton of the track and then you listen to it and write to that kind of like what you did with um, the ministry uh, TV song? Yeah, you know, I'll have them Usually I'll say, if you send me an MP3, I'll listen to it and I'll write something. I'll send, I'll sing to the MP3 and send it back to you and you can do what you like. Um, it's as simple as that. And, um, you know, sometimes those, some, you know, people send me something and I'm just like, look, I can't. It's yeah. not, there's yeah. nothing here for me. Uh -huh. uh, but sometimes people will send stuff and it's like, yeah, like, I did, when we were in lockdown, I did a couple of songs for The Joy Thieves, which yeah. is the band I collaborate with. And they were really great songs and I, I couldn't wait to start writing for them. And it came really quickly and it was really fun. And, uh, you know, my neighbors probably, I don't have any soundproof and they just hear this nutcase going <laughs> in, in, in the basement, you know? Right. Uh, so nobody ever stops me in the street. They just avoid me. <laughs> that's fine. Um, do you have any advice for anyone interested in uh, being a musician? In interested in being in a musician, being a musician, um, I, you know, I, I always try to encourage people to do that. As sure. a, as a teacher, when I was teaching at School of Rock, I was always trying to uh, find. Um, or suggest to my students who were mostly teenagers that they might want to write. And 
many of them did not, but many of them did. And I had one student especially who was very uh, dear to my heart, who since I met, I'm, I started working with her when she was 12 and I knew there was something there. I knew there was something there and she was a great singer. We developed her voice and every few weeks I'd say, look, you know, and I talked to her mom, you have something you can write, you'll do it. And she just kind of blew me off. She's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then one day she came in, you know, about a year ago and said, I wrote a song. <laughs> And it was wonderful. And it was like, you know, I am not going to tell you how to write a song. I'm going to tell you, you can write a song. Yeah. Uh, and once you find that in you, you will have so much fun. You will never look back, you know, and that's what it is to me. And I, I'm really lucky. I'm, you know, I know not everyone can write, but I do believe everyone can bring something to the table and maybe find some enjoyment in it. So as far as becoming a musician, if you're driven, do it. I mean, look at half the bands I worship, like Throbbing Gristle. They made a career out of abusing instruments, right? Yes. And created some incredibly powerful sound out of it. Uh, think outside the box you don't have to follow any rules that sounds so punk rock but it's right. true you don't um especially these days with affordable studio programs that you can buy yeah. for your laptop you can have a ball last week i introduced my son to my korg synthesizer yes. and i i plugged it into a delay pedal and i said go for it you can't hurt it just turn everything up and see yeah. what happens and it was really fun for him that's awesome i uh I have a list of albums that were ones that kind of shaped what I thought of the world. It's like sometimes you hear something and you go, oh, you can do that. And, um, and Whiplash Boy Child was one of those albums for me, as well as Can's Delay, uh, mm -hmm. This Heat Deceit, mm -hmm. uh, Henry Cow's Western Culture. Ah. You know that one? Oh, yes. No, I know that record. Yeah. And Throbbing Gristles, 20 Jazz yes. Funk Greats. Yes. Just because of when I got it. Um, I, I like a lot of the Throbbing Gristle catalog, but there's just, uh, there's things that happen on each of those albums where I was just like, I didn't know you could do that. Like, I thought you just had to make things rhyme and catchy, you know, and you can have... No, Western Culture is a great example of a, a record. I mean, it's a difficult listen. I saw that tour. It was the first gig I ever went to. Seriously? Yeah, the first show I ever went to was Henry Cow. Uh, and it was their last tour, I believe. Holy and it smokes. was for Western culture. And all they played was stuff off Western culture and improvised. That's um, nuts. Yeah, it, it, it was pretty nuts. Um, I was 13. My brother took me and he was horrified because he was <laughs> so punk rock. And my mom made him take me because, like, I want to go to this. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, that brings us to the last question, and it's my favorite question. Chris, what are your dreams like? What are my dreams like? Yeah, like when you go to sleep. Um, it depends if I have, uh, a, I have this blind. We have blackout blinds in my bedroom. If I have up just a few inches, then I'm facing oncoming traffic, oh. and my dreams are filled with light, like fireworks and stuff oh. like that. Um, but 
my dreams are, you know, I get so many ideas in my dreams. And a lot of times my dreams sort of carry on from, if I'm being creative, I will go to bed thinking of what I'm doing and I'll fall asleep and often, excuse me, my, my daughter's best friend is trying to oh. zoom her at this time, like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, my dreams can be pretty can be pretty wet light oh light light yeah awesome well chris thank you so much for doing this thank you for watching suck and taking the time to discuss it it's um, so fun you've you've done so well for yourself not a shabby career for for starting with a broken leg i'd say <laughs> thank you <laughs> Uh, one last question. What is the origin of the wrong fucking century, darling, off Pigface's Welcome to Mexico, asshole? Wrong fucking century, darling. Wrong fucking century, darling. Wrong fucking century, darling. Oh, yeah, that was, I think that was the Metro in Chicago. And, you know, I was in Pigface and uh, kind of, I think at the time I'd fallen out with Al or something like that. And so I was on this huge anti-ministry kick and... <laughs> just being an asshole and somebody yelled out uh, a ministry song from the crowd and I went wrong fucking century darling so I'm giving <laughs> the idea that well pig face are light years ahead of what they're doing which was untrue right uh, I was just being a dick that's, so that's the origin of it I was being a tool <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered well thank you so much Chris thank it's you so great. much it was a real pleasure Oh my gosh, I can't even explain how I feel right now. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. It really feels like a souvenir from a dream, if you will. I just wanted to tell you that Chris Connolly's new album is entitled Graveyard Sex to be released the 11th of November 2020, which is also his birthday and my wife's birthday. So let's wish Chris a happy birthday by picking up Graveyard Sex on Armalite Industries. The track you're hearing now, though, is Ghost at Bavelaw, an unreleased instrumental from an album that will come out in mid-2021, a real treat to end this episode on. Thank you again to Chris Connolly for being a ghost of a saint and participating. Thank you, Martin Atkins, for being you and for the pictures I posted on Instagram. And thanks to my producer, JL, and our sponsor, Marshall's Hot Sauce. Until next time, I'm Dirk Marshall, and this is VHS. <laughs>